Uh, my name is Sam Soopa, as they've introduced me, and then I'm married. I'm married to my wife. We've been married for 25 years. This is my wife. Yeah, it has been amazing. And then we have three children, and then I've got a grandson, and the other grandson is on the way. So I left my white beard so that I can qualify when I speak to you as a grandfather. You know, so yeah, it's such a privilege. And how do we qualify? To, I asked God, I said, God, how do we qualify to be grandparents? God says, I qualify you. So I'm so privileged, you know, to have a family. And coming out of a background, you know, of really serious broken relationships. And, you know, I thought, God, will I ever have a family? Will I ever have a girlfriend? Will I ever have a wife? And then today I look a little bit, you know, you know, with the D and everything, but I was very skinny. I was very thin, and the girlfriends were not attracted to me. I struggled a lot, too many times. And when I met this lady, who's going to become the lady in my life and my beautiful wife, and you know, it was just a connection from God. And you know, later on I realized that together we've got an amazing purpose in life, you know, to advance God's kingdom. So it's great a privilege, and then you can see this my son on the other side is my daughter, and then my daughter is in the middle, and then that is my wife, that is my, my, my daughter-in-law, that is my son, and that is my grandson. That is the Swopa family. And also I had the privilege of leading the church in Mums, and it's such a great privilege to be in Mamelodi. Mamelodi is a powerful township also, because a lot of stuff that is happening there, you know, is the township that is really growing, where you find a lot of people, they're sitting in one place per square meter, so I'm really excited to see what God is going to do there. We want to see a lot of great leaders coming out of that community. We want to see people going to the nations of the world out of Mamelodi. That is our dream. And you know, how do we know that our mission is powerful? We want to start seeing a lot of people from moms going to missions and going to, going to Eitrecht, going to the people where they speak the language that you don't understand. And I'm really, really excited. And I think last week they spoke about focusing on, uh, we spoke about you know, one God honoring him. You know, citywide, we're speaking about honoring this one God. And today we're speaking about, you know, focusing on disciple, making disciple. And it's our mission. And this mission doesn't belong to us. Jesus gave it to us. You know, when we hear this mission, don't say every nation says we must make disciple. No, go and read the scripture. You'll find that God, Jesus himself, is the one that gave us this mission. And then, you know, we always say that we are a making disciple family. May we be May we be excited when we, when we say these things. Because some of us, we're coming from far. It's not just the word that we say. Some of us, God has shaped us while we're sitting in this family. Some of us, God has changed our hearts. Some of us, we've grown. Some of us, we nearly ran away. I nearly ran away. I thought, this discipleship thing is not working. I'm going to leave it. And until a friend of mine gently just allow me to listen to the Holy Spirit. And here, I'm still sitting here today. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing because what makes it beautiful because Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And then we're going to read that beautiful scripture that uh, Jesus spoke about. And then I hope by now you know it by heart. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the world. And you know... I was just coming out of a lot of backgrounds in my life because I think, you know, I was a Christian for a long time. Maybe even before I tell you how did I come to every nation. You know, Philip is a friend of mine. We've been friends for 30 years. You know, before we got married, I used to make a joke to say we were single and innocent at that time. And then I hear that this morning he went hunting for me and he shot a roy back for me. I'm excited, you know, to have the divorce. 
and then I'm looking forward, you know. So I met Philip, and then he says to me, Sam, are you where God wants you to be? That thing, instead of really celebrating, it upset me. I went home, and I was worried, because I knew that I was not where God wants me to be. And then and that is the bigger question. And I think that question, I always ask the people when I met them, and I said, are you where God wants you to be? And I want to pose the same question to you. Where are you? Are you where God wants you to be? Because where God wants you to be, that's where you're going to find joy in the midst of difficulties. That's where you're going to find peace in the midst of any kind of circumstances. It makes a big difference. So, yeah, you know, we need to make disciples of all nations. And then, you know, I want to, I want to speak about, you know, what, what do we expect, uh, you know, so how do we express our unity in making disciples? Because we need to be united in making disciples. You know, because when I come here, I was not part of that united people because I had questions. You know, you disciple people and then things don't go wrong, don't go right, they go wrong. And then you keep on doing it, but you're not really getting successful. And then I thought, yes, this is a very difficult thing. Maybe I need to go back to my old ways of doing things. How do we get united? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call you to really become united with us as we do, if you're not, you're not united in this one. First of all, we are united in uh, making disciples by prioritizing reaching the lost. Luke 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came and seek and to save the lost. And we need to prioritize the lost, the people that are not here. And why do we prioritize them? And I realized that they are people. God loves people. He doesn't only love us who are here. He doesn't only love the church people. He loves almost everybody. And, you know, I used to make it a little bit of a distance to say, no, but God loves people. And I realized that I've got a cousin who's not saved. I've got a brother who doesn't know Jesus. I've got an uncle who doesn't know God. And I watch them how they live. And I realized, wow, it's a bit of a distraction. When you go to Mamelodi, you see it very clearly. Maybe in the city you don't see it very clearly, but in Mamelodi it's visible everywhere. We realize that people are lost. Without Jesus, they're going to keep on living on their lost life. And then the scary thing when you look in moms nowadays, there's a lot of young boys in the street. They didn't grow out, out of the family. They just grew without the family. They grew out the, without the father. And, you know, and, the, and the, really, the, the people that just keep on getting lost in a bigger way. And uh, we, it has to be a conviction in our hearts. Because I realize that sometimes if something is not a conviction, you're in trouble. What is a conviction? A conviction is something that is really deeply rooted in your heart. Nothing can shake it. You know, when you are convicted about something, not even death can change your conviction. I had a friend of mine, you know, a long time ago, while we were still in Impact Radio, he, he was one of these people riding the, the bikes. He fell off the bike and he broke a couple of bones in his body. And then he was coming with the things on his neck, with the crutches, with, with, with steels on his legs, and I asked him, and I said to him, I think after this you're going to stop riding the bicycle, the bikes. He says to me, no, I'm going to find the best super bike that you ever find in the whole world. I'm thinking, that is crazy. Not even broken legs can change us from our conviction. Conviction is very powerful because we say, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who had personal convictions about who Jesus is based on biblical truth, and they transfer that to one another. 
You will never be a disciple until you have a conviction. Jesus, when he says to this guy, go and make disciples, I think he saw that there was already a conviction in the heart because first of all, he says to them, come. And when they came, he showed them what it is. And there was, a, there was some problems before they started going. We hear the story of Peter cutting somebody's ear. We hear the story of Peter running away during the, during the crucifixion. So when, 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 when Jesus says to them, go, I think there was a strong conviction in there. We hear the story of Thomas doubting Jesus. She says, I don't think you came from the dead. And Jesus says, see the nails in my hand. See what happened. And then Thomas, we hear the story that actually Thomas went and planted a church in India and even died in India. That is a conviction. And then and I want to share the story that I love watching some of the stories. You know, we've got YouTube nowadays. And then you just Google it. This is an airplane called Boeing 747. You know, the Boeing 747, I don't know, yeah, this is the one. It's a huge, this is the first one that was built. And they test drive it in 1968. And the conviction of building these flights, they were saying, this flight is going to be one of the best flights to take people to the places where people have been struggling to get. So which means you can fly for 18 hours with comfort. Because long time ago, if they want to go to Australia, they had to break somewhere and then it will take them three days. But this aeroplane, they said, could take 18 hours to take you where it used to take them three days. That was a conviction when they were building this aeroplane. But there was a problem. When they finished building it, they realized that they got a huge problem. What was the problem? The problem is that there was a problem with the engine. They said their engines were getting overheating. So, and then they knew that this is a problem that they can't solve immediately. And then the first thing to sort of realize that they need to get going because now the bank and everybody doesn't want to give them money. He says, I'm not going to give you money until we certify that the engine of this thing is all right. They did a media briefing. So they tell all the guys in the media and the news, they say, listen, here, we just want to help you to come and have a look of how these things look like. It was the first colossal, huge aeroplane. And then they pull it out and then they show it to the people. The people are getting excited. And the pilots now, with this overheating engine, they had to walk inside that aeroplane. And then demonstrate to the people that it can fly. And then the people says, no, it will never took off. And then, boom, it took off. And the people says, uh-uh, we're going to see how it's going to land. Gently, it lands. As if the problems are not enough. And the bank and everybody says, listen here, you're going to have to shut down. And the guy says, listen here, there's an, there's an opportunity. There's a show in Paris, in, in, uh, in France where they're showing all the aeroplanes from the whole world. The most dominant aeroplane that time, it was this one, the first one. What do they call it? No, no, the, the small one that used to be very fast. They discontinued it. Concorde, Concorde. Concorde was the fastest that time. Everybody was just waiting to see the Concorde. While they're waiting, here comes this huge thing. But before they fly to Paris, the pilot, they knew that any time this aeroplane could bend down, bend down and went down to the ground. It's a scary thing. They knew that this thing, it can bend down. And then when they climb in it, they start taking off. They knew that that journey that we're going to have, we might not be able to reach there. And then while people wait in France, they see this huge thing coming. It went and shifted the whole attention from Concorde to Boeing 747. And it was a powerful thing. And I asked myself a question. How do... All these thousands of people working for, for building this aeroplane. Why do they just kept on work, working? Why did the pilot, thinking of this thing that it can bend down anytime, they just keep on riding it? It was a conviction in their heart 
to say, we want to connect people to the places that they've never been before. And then I'm just giving you this example to say that there has to be some convictions that we're going to live about. Conviction is more powerful. It's more powerful than the miracle that we experience. You know, sometimes people experience healing, but if there is no conviction, we fall off. I really trust, and I know that I'm not saying that we should stop praying for people that are sick. I pray for my friends all the time that are sick. I pray for them, and I trust that God will heal them. But if we just experience signs and wonders and miracles, but there's no convictions in our heart, it's all personal experience. We don't even share with the other people. So God says, you know, we, I want to call you today to say, here's some of the few convictions that I want us to have in our hearts. Under the, you know, reaching the lost. The, the, the first thing that I want us to be convicted when we reach out to the lost, we need to know that God is the only one who can save and transform life. Jesus is the only one who can transform and save life. It was not a conviction in my heart, you know, for a while. I, I was struggling with it. I thought I didn't struggle with it, but I was struggling with it. And then, you know, and I got tested. How do you know that this is a conviction in your heart? You, can, you get tested for it. I was walking in Lenwood Road, rather, you know, the other day. As I was walking there, the guy stopped me, and he says, I'm one of the top Sangomas here in South Africa. I can help you. Somebody has bewitched you. And I listened to him. I'm a Christian, you know, I've been born again for 10 years, and I listened to this guy. They took me somewhere in the corner. They started telling me that they're going to show me that person who did witchcraft on me on the mirror. I want to see that person in the mirror. And then, you know, and then we walk around, and then they say, no, it's late. The mirror doesn't work. We're going to have to come back tomorrow. But let's go to the bank and withdraw the money so that your, your one, your, sorry, your 10,000 rand, we're going to add two knots on the other side. Then you become rich. Then I went for it. You know, I was working very hard. It was 1992. They cleaned up all my money into their account and disappeared. And I went, I said, God, what was the problem? God says, no, you are still convicted about your way of living behind you. And then I came and I became part of this every nation. Somebody keep on reminding me that the gospel has to be in the center of everything that you do. Went and planted the church in the inner city. And then people come, you know, you hear the media, people come, they say unemployment is the problem. Unemployment, and I, I hear it. And, I, and you know, there's a lot of black brothers like me, and then they're really suffering. They say, man, if I can just find the job, I'll be able to do it. And eventually, we even started a little bit of a forum where we can help people to get jobs. It is a good thing. But <laughs> all those guys that found the job, sometimes I look at five of them, they're sitting in one of the most horrendous you know, conditions. Somebody says that if there is something in your heart and you get the money, if that thing is very dangerous, it was supposed to kill you in 10 years, you can even make it faster than it can kill you in, in, in one year. So a lot of our black brothers, they got jobs, and I tried to help them. I even pray for them. But today, when I look at their life, I get concerned. Because my conviction about the gospel was not that strong. And then we went to Mamelodi, you know, the latest story. And then I reached out to a couple of guys, and it keeps on happening. And the last guy, he says to me, Sam, I haven't got a job. I said, okay, we're going to pray. We pray, we disciple one another, we pray, and he got the job. And a good job with a very good earning, you know, at, at Ford, here, in, uh, next to Den, Denling. And then one day I phoned him on Saturday. I just want to have a chat with him. He says to me, listen here, I'm not coming tomorrow. I'm earning the money. I'm going to drink myself to death. And then you know, I'm thinking, God, what did I do? And I realized that there was not that conviction in my heart to say the gospel can save and transform lives. Do we stop helping people to find a job? No. 
Do we stop feeding the people that are hungry? No. Do we stop praying for the people that are sick? No. But there has to be that element of a conviction of the gospel in our heart. Because the gospel is the only thing that can transform people's life. And then I hope that will be a conviction. Here's a very powerful scripture. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. The gospel is very powerful. The gospel is so powerful that we're sitting in this room. We are all having different backgrounds. We might be the same color, but we're coming from different backgrounds. We're all coming from diverse areas. You know, each, each and every one of us, we're different. But because the, the fact that we're sitting here, we all got the common bullet in our heart that hits us. It was the gospel. The gospel is very powerful. It can cross the borders. The gospel is very powerful. You, how, do, how do I know that the gospel is very powerful? We've got two guys in our, in our connect group that are from Zimbabwe. When you see how the gospel cut their heart, I ask, wow, it's very, very powerful. And the gospel is so powerful that even in our diversity, it makes us united. It cuts through everything. May I call you to say, if you stop sharing the gospel, if you stop believing in the gospel of Jesus, I want, I want to call you back to say, God wants you to come and line up to say, God, I'm ready. It might be at my factory. It might be at wherever I am. But when I see almost every single human being, there has to be a conviction in my heart that they need Jesus in their heart. We're sitting here today. We are amazing people. Somebody came and reached out to us. Somebody came and reached out to me. So we, we're having backgrounds. I have a background of, uh, you know, I've told you about, you know, my parents and my uncle and everybody. They used to believe in, they, some of them, they even still believe. They believe in strong, it was a strong ancestral, you know, worship in my family. Very, very strong. My mother says to me, you think you are born again? You are a small boy. One day the problem is going to hit, you're going to come back and join the family. And I'm thinking, what? But you know what? There were some challenges in my life. But one day, I saw how God arrested my mother's heart. He went and pulled her down, and she was lying in bed for three weeks. And then one day, somebody prayed for her. She vomited the stuff out, and she became born again. And the gospel, there's nothing impossible for the gospel of Jesus. What do we want for this country of us? What do we want for South Africa? Do we want a better politician? Somebody says, you will never find a better politician. <laughs> there's no better politician. They're all politicians. And we keep on trusting on them. You know, God says, what kind of change are you looking for? I'm just saying to us, I'm getting convicted. I'm sitting in my melody. It's rough. But I've seen people getting impacted by the gospel of Jesus and how they became changed. In this room, we are more than enough. We are really more than enough to impact this little city of Pretoria with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does, it has to start with me. How does the gospel impact my heart and your heart? Because you'll, you'll never be able to give what you don't have. We only give what we have. And then the first conviction that we were speaking about is that we reach out to the lost. The second conviction, we realize that the father longs for his children, sons and daughters to come home. And that it will be, none will, be, will perish. You know, perishing is not a very nice thing. It means that you have been living in sin, you were born here. And you just really keep on walking towards destruction. And then you do things that is going to destroy your life without God. And then you get to the moment where you fall. And nothing can rescue you when you fall this time. And God says, I don't want my sons and daughters to perish. Do you have sisters and brothers in your family? When you know that they're perishing, 
God's heart for them, he says, I want them to be part of this family so that God can save them from going to that pit of hell. That is very dangerous. The, the third conviction is that God has entrusted us with this mission to his church, to every single Christian. God has entrusted this mission to his church. What is the mission? The mission of going and making disciples of all nations. And then they're showing that scripture here, Second Chronicles 5. He says, God has, given, has reconciled us to himself. When he finished reconciling us to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, sometimes we get reconciled to God, we want to stop there. No, the most powerful thing is when you go and you start getting people and they're getting reconciled to Jesus. It's one of the powerful satisfaction you could ever have in your life. To see somebody who is going to destroy their life and they're not going to be able to live, and then they come here, they become children and women and men of God, where the gospel has transformed their heart. All of us, we've been given the, the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't matter whether you've got a business or you haven't got a business, but I think the main mission in our business is to say, God, how do I get your mission advanced to the nation of the world? We've all been called, all of us. Once you become a Christian, you are an ambassador. I like, I like the ways they use in the army. I had some friends, and then my wife's sister worked at the military hospital. You know, when you are in the army, have you ever seen that movie in the army now? The guy says, no, 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 we're just water boys. No, 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 you are soldiers. You're not water boys, you are soldiers. They said, no, 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 we just, we just purified. No, 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 you are soldiers. But actually they end up being the one that really helped in that war. Everybody disappeared. They the one became the soldier. So if you are sitting here and you've got something God has given you, maybe you're very good at social responsibility. First of all, you are an ambassador for Jesus. If you are a businessman with big business, first of all, you are an ambassador. You are a soldier in the kingdom of God. So... You know, we don't be defined to say, no, I'm a, I'm a doctor first, and secondly, I'm a soldier. No, no, when you join the army, you are a soldier first, and then you can, we can do the doctor thing while you're in the, in the army. So I want to call you to say, let's become Christians that God has called us to be. You know, I like our definition of a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, fish for men, and fellowship with other believers. You know, straightforward, but it's, you know, it really calls us to you. So all of us, Jesus has called us to be an ambassador of the gospel. And the last one, he says, the day of salvation is now. The time is near that no one is guaranteed for tomorrow that Jesus will return. This is an agency, agency to our mission. I think there's a lot of stuff that are agent in our lives. Um, uh, there's an agency for me to plant the church in Mamelodi. There's an agency to maybe to get your business going. There's an agency to get certain things happening in the family. But I just found the Bible says there's one thing that is very agent. He says the gospel is agent. Which means we can't pass one person without sharing the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is agent to get to almost everything. I had a very crazy friend. He decided that because the gospel is very agent, he's going to start preaching the gospel. You know what he did? He says, I'm going to start at home. His wife was born again. He says, my, my beautiful one, he says, yes, he says, I want to share the gospel. He goes to his wife. And when he's finished, the wife asks him some questions. He says, but what about that? What about that? He says, no, but my wife, she, she, now she knows me. I couldn't even teach her how to drive. So I'm going to go to my children. He went to the children. He says, yeah, this is the gospel. And then he's sharing the gospel to the children. And man, he's hitting nicely. The children, they say, ah, but Papa, what about the Swedes? What about that? He says, my children don't hear me. He looks around. He realizes the only thing that has got blood in his vein left in that yard is the dog. And he went to the dog. He says, Baxter. He shared the gospel to Baxter. Baxter lifts his head and does the ear like this. He comes back and says, the dog had me. <laughs> <laughs> a 
And then his friends sitting next to me says, no, but you've got to go back to the people. <laughs> you've got to go back to the people. But it really shows the agency in his heart. How agent is the gospel in your heart? What makes the gospel agent in my heart is to see the broken world that we're living in. It's getting broken almost every day. If we're thinking the Easter Patriots are right, no, no, things are getting bad. I hear that even the white people, they're exploring this Sangoma thing nowadays. We used to think, no, it's only for black people. There's a lot of things that are happening. And then if we don't make the gospel agent, we're going to wake up with the city that doesn't look like the way we want them to look like. And then, you know, we spoke about we value the lost. Number two, we value one another's growth. And then you know about that. In our Connect group, we value your growth. We've got, we've got things that we put in place where you can be able to grow. In our Connect group, in our worship service, the growth path, those are the things that help us to grow. It's almost like a mother. You know, when a small baby, I saw my wife when we have our children when they were very small. She teaches me very careful that you don't just feed them everything. There's certain things that you feed the children. You don't give them steak when they're born. There's going to be a problem. But they need to grow and become adult. If they don't grow, there's a problem. Here's the thing. If you see the child not growing, it's a serious concern in our lives. So I want to challenge us. Are you growing? We need to grow so that when the wind and the storms of life come and toss us around, we'll be able to stand. The other one, we value raising leader. I like this quote from... Uh, Gilbert and Foliento, he used this uh, message when we did our, it was, I think it was a passion. Uh, yeah. He says, the quality of leaders we develop is directly proportional to the quality of disciples we make. You will never understand this thing until you experience it. And then we need to start somewhere. I went to Mamelodi, I thought, it is difficult to raise leaders in Mamelodi. Because it was difficult, but God says, just keep on going. Today we've got amazing 10 leaders in Mums who loves Jesus, who follow Jesus, who's very strong. I want to share testimony. There's three ladies in Mamelodi. When we went there, Hank even make a joke. He says, he says, Mama so-and-so, Mama so-and-so, looking for Papa so-and-so also. So, <laughs> because we're saying Mama Eki, Mama Dina, because it was all the ladies coming. And we became faithful when the ladies came. The kids came first. And then we want to chase them away. God says, no, 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 I've sent the children. Jesus says, don't reject the children. They, I've sent them to you to teach you to do the right church plant. And uh, there was one lady, uh, you know, Mama Dina. She really got it. She went and discipled Mani Mary. And Mani Mary discipled another lady. And then yesterday I was sitting with another lady, the third one that I want to say, his name is Mama Dina. You know, when I look at Mama D, she was working long hours. Many, many hours working hard. But she will never miss a co-leaders meeting. She will never miss coming to church. If she misses it, she will phone you. She was earning very little money. And she never complained about anything. When you see her house is incomplete. But she just kept on coming. And one day, Diana says, we've got a, she's, she's doing the hospitality. She loves it. And then one day, you know, there was a leaders at night here. She went and called Mani Mary and Mama Mati, and the three of them, they came and saved here. They came early. They jumped in the early taxi from Mamelodi to come here. That is the heart of a disciple, coming from the poverty of poverty and be able to, not even money can stop them because it's a conviction in their heart. And I said, Lord, I'm so thankful for people like that. And they, they, life is very hard. When you look at Mani Mary, she works at Deep and Deep It's not very easy. But can I tell you something? She kept on coming. And I prayed for them. I said, Lord, 
if I have a million rand, that should be the people that I'll start helping. And then God says, no, the time will come. But I realized that one day I was sitting and Mani Mary says to me, her daughter, she's studying at Tivet College. And I thought, God, what a breakthrough. And you know, and God has really started releasing them from the bondages that are happening in the families. So if we manage to raise leaders, leaders carry capacity. And then it's a beautiful thing. And leaders can go to the world. That is very, you know, we send Philip to Eitracht. He's a leader. Sitting in that nation where you don't understand the language is a very powerful thing. Because language is a difficult thing. And then we, pre, we prioritize the nations. We sort of prioritize the next generation. We hear the story of King David here. He says to God, God, I want to build a temple. And God says, no, not you. You are a soldier. You've been killing people. I'm going to let your son build the temple. But David didn't become passive. He didn't say, God, you took the mission away from me. I'm going to sit and do nothing because it's no longer my thing. You know what he did? He made plans. Plans of the patio. He says, this is how the plays look like. And after that, while he was halfway, when he dies, he says to his son, here's the plan. You can start halfway and move forward. Whatever we do, let's think of the next generation, our children. You know, I'm sitting at home. I was thinking, and I used to build the house for myself. And I was doing this thing for myself. And I realized I'm 54. You know, I, I shouldn't start saying I'm doing things for myself. I'm doing things for my children. So that they can start building from where I ended up. And then they can be able to fly. So that the mission can become faster. This building that we're building here is not for us actually anymore. It's for our children and for our children's children. Let's prioritize the next generation, our kids' church, our youth, our campus. You know, we have the wisdom. We've got great hair. We've got the wisdom. Let's walk behind them and support them. You know, sometimes in the society, in the Western culture, I don't think we have a place for, place for, for old people. I grew up in my village. My grandfather, he was very old, but he was a mentor for me. Old people are very powerful. They've got wisdom. There's a vendor saying, they say, what an old man can see is sitting, a young man can see standing. So I want to encourage you to say, whenever you see somebody with a gray hair, ask them some questions. Says to them, what happened to the marriage? They'll give you that one sentence. You'll meditate on it day and night. <laughs> they don't say a lot. They say one sentence. And your, your world gets rattled. We young, we jump around. Hey, this one and that one. Hey, this one and that. No, no, the old people, they'll just say to him, not that one. You know, I found one old man one day. I said to him, I walk around. He says, what are you going through in your marriage is not strange. I said to him, no, you don't understand what is happening to me. He says, no, I know. I said, but you were not there. Me and my wife fighting in the back of the door. You were not there. And then he tells me the story, what happened, as if he was there. I said, but what happened? He says, no, but remember, I've been married for 35 years. You see, when I, let's, let's value one another to say, I've got a grandpa here. Let's demean them to say, no, you are out of the picture. No, there's wisdom. There's many years of shoes getting finished while they're walking. There's many mileages in the car. Let's listen to them and let them, let, as young people, get their wisdom so that you can be able to fly. Let's value the next generation. And then the last one is that let's value reaching the nations of the world. You know, we hear stories, you know, how do we know that this thing also is very urgent? Because you had the story of xenophobia. It was raging. It went so fast. When you hear stories like that, it says to me, the gospel needs to advance. The solution is not going to come from anywhere else. It's going to come to us. When the Zimbabweans that came into our South Africa, the people who came into our country, let's disable them one person at a time. 
So that one day when they go home, we can be able to jump in the bus to them and go and plant a church in Zimbabwe that make disciples. That is the most powerful thing. You know, I've got Ben and, 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 and Pride from Zimbabwe. I say to them, listen here guys, I'm not just discipling you, but one day in Mamelodi, we're going to jump in a bus, a 60-seater bus. We want to go to Zim and plant a church in Zimbabwe. But I said, you need to see it. You need to see it like that Boeing 747 to say, we're going to go. But if you don't see it and I see it alone, it's not going to happen. So God realized that we were complaining. We were saying, yeah, the money to go to Zimbabwe is too much. The money to go to Mozambique is too much. God says, I'm going to bring them. I've given you the nations in South Africa. They're here. What are you doing with them? Are you just giving them employment? Be careful. Because I've realized that when people get employment, they just come back. They will come in even throw it in your face. I used to think when you give them physical food, they will be all right. Let's not answer spiritual problems with physical answers. You know, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman. He says to her, I'm the living water. She says, if you give me that water. Jesus speaks about spiritual things. She speaks about physical things. He says, no, no, no. What you need is not the water that you drink. I am the living water. And until she gets it, it was very powerful. I want to call you to say today, help us to believe in these convictions. Help us to prioritize this thing, to prioritize the lost to prioritize the next generation, to prioritize the nations. It's very, very important to prioritize discipleship, people growing. And then with the conviction of the gospel, that is the only thing that can change people's lives. With the conviction to know that your gospel, Jesus, is the only thing that can change people. With the conviction to say that when we see the broken lives, we know that they need God more than drinking water, more than food. But it doesn't matter. If they need food before they can hear me, I'll give them a meal so that they can be able to hear because you can't talk to somebody with an empty stomach. But the, the main priority is not to give them food. The main priority is to give them the gospel. Can we get our priorities right? It doesn't matter when you do it, what comes first. But when we do that one day, we will wake up with the mission of Jesus impacting the whole world. Africa is getting broken every day. I try to find out what is the real problem. At the end of the day, it takes me back to say, is the absence of the worship of God. You know, God says, I'll forgive your sin. But if you worship foreign God, I will not forgive you. So there's a problem of worshiping foreign God in Africa. There's a lot of intelligent people. People from Zimbabwe, they're very educated. They've got they're amazing lawyers. They're very, very educated. Now I'm thinking, what is the problem? And they say Zimbabwe, it, it, it used to be called the breadbasket of Africa. But there's a suffering. Why, why is there suffering? Are we going to come with a physical answer? Or are we going to come with a spiritual answer? And I hope today, sitting in front of us here, as a child of God, as a Christian, as someone who loves Jesus with all his heart, may you see the problem is not just the food that we give the people. You know, what the looting people say to me, Sam, in Mamelodi, there was a church that says it's going to bring seven, 70 people to bring food in Mams. I say, stop. Because people in Mamluk, they might even kill you for bringing those food. You know, maybe let's do it properly. So my conviction in my heart is to say, Lord, I want the gospel to keep on cutting things in my heart that are still there, that are becoming an obstacle for me to share the gospel. I want to ask you the question today. Maybe you identify with some of the things. That say, what, is the thing? what are the things in the heart that when you share the gospel, they're becoming an obstacle? You know, what are the things that are not yet, how far is the conviction of the gospel in your heart? 
Because if that is not happening, we're going to bounce back. We're going to solve the problems politically. We're going to pro- solve the problems socially. Actually, we're not even solving it. We, we're perpetuating it. We're making it big. So I've learned, you know, I was, politicals, I was involved very much in South Africa. I was really involved. 1990, I was, I was heavily involved in politics. But politicians, politi- politics are not the answer. Not even the business is the only answer. But we, it's all vehicles to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the place where we can't be able to take it. So what is the obstacle in your heart? And then I want to pray with you. Can we close our eyes? You sitting here today, you say, Sam, there is an obstacle in my heart. There is something that the conviction of the gospel hasn't hit me in that corner. Like it was struggling to hit me with ancestral worship. Like it was struggling to hit, I was struggling to allow the gospel to hit ancestral worship in my heart. I even end up getting robbed money. I was struggling to allow the gospel to hit the belief that sometimes I give people food without giving them the gospel. And God has to hit, the gospel has to hit that area in my life. I was believing that when people experience healing, they will never turn away from God. And God says, no, no, the gospel, it's a conviction in their heart that they will never change. Even when they don't get healed, they still serve God. I want to ask you the question, is there a thing in your heart that you're struggling? Will you raise your hands? I just want to pray with you. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I saw some of you raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I want to pray today. More than anything else, Lord, we can give instructions, we can say a whole lot of stuff. But I just want to pray one thing. I want to pray that, Lord, these people that raise their hand, they will say, Jesus, we want to fall in love with you. Because the love of Jesus is the propeller that makes us to run. God, I want to pray that, Lord, before they start doing anything, let them really fall in love with you, Jesus, in the most powerful way that nothing can stop them. Because when we have the love of God, we don't even worry about the details. And Lord, I want to pray that, Lord Jesus, let them really have a moment where they can speak to you face to face and experience your presence. And God, I want to pray for a breakthrough for the issues that are, that are in their life. They know them, but you know them also, God. Because you know them. You said that you've made us and you know how many hair we have in our head. You know our struggles. You know our difficulties. But God, the best thing that we can do with them is to bring them to the foot of the cross. And I pray that, Lord, we'll bring them to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe some of you are saying, we're not going to leave this. You're not born again. You haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you. It's a beautiful thing. Maybe with the eyes closed again. If you're not born again, will you raise your hands where you are? We want to pray for you. It doesn't matter whether you want or half or full, whatever. We just want to pray for you. Because it's a moment. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that for the people that are sitting here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to follow your mission. Lord, help us not to say it's every nation mission, but it's Jesus' mission. Let be the first conviction. And God, help us to be convicted that what will change Pretoria is when the gospel of Jesus hit everybody in their heart. And with our diversity, we enjoy one another. Help us not to say this language is wrong, this language is right. Let's say all these languages come from you, Jesus. Help us not to say this color is wrong, this color is right. Or everyone, everybody comes from you, Jesus. So that, Lord, when we become like that, we can see the power of the gospel hitting our diversity so strong that we become united in our diversity. Our differences will not make us fight. 
but it will make us to carry on and take the gospel to the end of the world. And Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you, Lord, for your people. They belong to you, Lord. And keep on ministering to them, Jesus, so that they will know you even far more better. So that one day, maybe from our community of believers, from every nation, people, they can say, those people, they haven't got much, but they really have Jesus. They really wear Jesus so well. And then we just want to follow Jesus. And one day we wake up, Pretoria will have the correct statistics when they say 70% Christians. And it will be a true statistics about our city. But it will also be a true statistic about Africa, Europe, America, and all the nations of the world. Even Mexicans, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, family. God bless you. Have a beautiful Sunday afternoon.